we're going to be going through. There we go. <laughs> we're going to be going through Thessalonians again. Uh, so be turning your Bibles to First uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter four. And this week we're going to be going through verses 13 through 18. I believe it is on 987 if you're using the blue chairback Bibles in front of you. So technology is a wonderful thing. I think all of us can, can agree with that. It has uh, made so many great things happen in our lives, uh, particularly uh, cell phones. You know, you used to break down on the freeway and you'd have to figure out, well, how do I contact a tow truck? Or, you know, I can remember my mom uh, breaking down on the side of the road and we walked to a farmhouse to call my dad to come help us. And, and so cell phones are, are a good thing. Uh, but one thing is uh, they also have promoted things that aren't so positive. Um, you can know that whenever I call someone, they should pick up, right? So I, I call someone, well, the phone is on them. It's not like, oh, they're outside gardening or, or something. The phone is on them. They can carry it with them. And, and so you call someone and, and you don't get them. And then all of a sudden you're thinking in your head, okay, well, I'll, I'll try calling back later. You call back 30 minutes, an hour later, and you don't get them again. And... and you know, you're calling a loved one, one of your friends, and now, you know, thoughts start kind of creeping into your head. You know, where, where could they be? I, I hope they're okay. Well, I know they were going to go out for a drive. I hope they didn't get into an accident. Um, and this is, it's very, you know, so I got married, and very shortly after that realized I had someone I had more care and concern and worry about than I knew, right? So, you know, I'm calling Laura, and I'm, I'm like, why isn't she picking up? Why isn't she picking up? And, you know, I'm, I'm you know, scared. I'm really scared. It, you know, it, it's funny how if we don't know something, if we don't know something, we tend to fill in that gap, not with positive thoughts. We fill in that gap with negative things, right? So what, what's the bad thing that could have happened? And as we look at our passage today, we're going to be seeing that exact same uh, type of thinking going on with the Thessalonian church. So let's start with uh, verse 13 of chapter 4, and we'll be going down to verse 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. 
Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So if we look at verse 13, we see the situation that Paul is talking about. Uh, Looking back to an early portion of the book, we, we realize Timothy has visited this church in Thessalonica. Now he's come to Paul And he's probably given a a report, a report about what these people are thinking, what's going on there. And and so Paul is using that as an opportunity to teach. Uh, And so we see in verse 13, uh, but we do not want you to be uninformed, right? So he feels as though they were lacking some information that would be pertinent to them. And, And if we look back at Paul's history with this church, we, we know that he was removed very swiftly. He had maybe three weeks of teaching there. Uh, to, and, and there's a church that was planted, right? So if you guys had three sermons and you, you, you became a church and you said, we're all Christians, there might be things that, that might be missing. And so Paul is saying, well, I heard that this is something that was missing among you. I don't want you to be uninformed, so let me, let me fill you in. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So there are two ways we could take whatever this problem is. Um, If if we're looking down further, it, it becomes kind of unclear exactly what the problem was. But the problem does regard those who are who are asleep. So it's, it's a, a kind way of saying uh, they are dead. So they've passed away. Uh, and, and so the, the brothers are worrying about those who are dead, and they're worrying about the state of them. Right? So it could either be that they're worried these people who died before Jesus returned are not going to be risen with him, which uh, if you look at the passage, that's uh, something that could be potentially their fear. Or that in some way, shape, or form, those who have fallen asleep are going to miss out on some glorious aspect of Christ's ministry, right? So they're worried about, well, who, you know, the, the priority. Who, who goes first? Um, ultimately, if, if, I'm, if I'm deciding and I'm looking at this, and it, it says in verse 13, those who grieve as, uh, as those who don't have any hope, I would say the first option is probably better. You know, they're, they're grieving in such a way they don't think that these people are going to be risen at all. Right? And, and just the emotional stress that would put on you thinking about, well, my, my fellow believers, they passed away before Jesus returned, and, and unfortunately, I just don't know if they're going to be risen with him. I think that is probably a better understanding than well, who, who gets to go to heaven first? I don't think it's a, a, a discussion about priority. Um, and so these believers are sitting here, and they're, they're uninformed, right? And they, they have this gap in their knowledge. Well, Paul didn't tell us, and, and so we've assumed the worst. We've assumed that these believers will not be rising with us when Jesus returns. And ultimately, this is going to lead to them grieving as others who do not have hope. I want to just 
look at this last phrase really briefly. Those who don't grieve as those who don't have hope. So Paul is saying, I want to correct you because I don't want this to happen. He didn't say, I don't want you to grieve. He says, he qualifies, I don't want you to grieve in this certain sort of way. I don't want you to grieve as those who ultimately don't have any hope. I think in in Christianity, I think there are are two extremes when it comes to the death of a believer. Uh, We can can grieve in such a way, right? We can grieve in such a way that it looks as though we don't have hope for them. But on the other hand, I think as Christians, sometimes we feel as though we have to just brush it off. Well, you know, they they just went went to the next room. and ultimately, you know, death is a very sad thing. And I don't think Paul is telling us here we don't have to grieve the death of believers. He's just saying, I don't want you to grieve in such a way that you, you don't realize that they have hope and you have hope. And, and so it's okay to cry at funerals, guys. And I, I think if you, if you want a verse, if you want to write this down, here's your verse. When someone says, you don't have to cry, you know, they're... No, you, you can grieve their loss. And you can grie- grieve, ultimately, our loss. Uh, and that's, that's okay. Uh, moving on, he's going to inform them about the situation, right? So he's filling in this gap of knowledge for them. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 14, right? So we want to look first at this this first phrase. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. This is essential. And this is the gospel. Right? For, For Jesus died and rose again. It wasn't for Jesus acted really nice to people and made everyone smile or or. Uh, Jesus was a great moral example in, in tumultuous times. No. Jesus died and he rose again. And that's the, the key. Right? We're talking about people who are asleep and, and wondering about whether they're going to be risen. And if we're looking at Jesus and say, well, Jesus just died. Well, how much hope is there for people who weren't like Jesus? Who weren't perfect? I don't think there's any hope. If Jesus isn't risen, how am I going to be risen? And this is the gospel, right? So Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect life. The life that we haven't lived. I I personally have not lived a perfect life. And I need some way to make that right. And so Jesus goes to the cross and is punished, not for anything he had done wrong, but because of what I had done wrong. And this is the gospel. This is me receiving his perfection while he receives my sin, while he takes the punishment for me. And and these people don't have hope. They don't have hope of resurrection if Jesus is not raised from the dead first. And it goes on to say, through Jesus, right? So it makes it very clear. Jesus' death is not for all. Jesus' 
death is only for those who are in him. You know, so we read through Jesus, we can almost think of Jesus as a bus, right? And, and some people have entered onto the bus and they will go through him to the Father and others have not entered the bus and they will not go through him. And this is very important, guys, because if you're not in Christ, if you're not being transported through him, there will be no hope. There will be no hope. And, uh, and there will be elders here afterwards who would love to talk with you about what that means and, and, and what it means to be in Christ. This is, this is very important. And we don't want you missing this fact. It's the most important decision you have to make in life. So it's, it's through Christ and through Christ, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, right? So here's the hope, right? So they're worried about those who have fallen asleep. And he's saying, no, 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 don't worry. Those who have fallen asleep are in Christ. And ultimately, they'll be transported to the Father. You don't need to worry about them uh, not receiving uh, present, the presence of God because they've fallen asleep before the return of Jesus. And he's filling in that gap for them. Going on to verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So Paul starts off verse 15 telling us where he received this information. Right? Information is only as good as its source. If you were to walk up to a random stranger on the street and ask them how to do an open heart transplant, and, and then you had to perform one, I don't think I would trust that information. Now, if you were talking to a doctor, on the other hand, that might have some sway in what you're thinking about. He would probably tell you, don't even think about it. <laughs> right? And so, <laughs> so information source is very important. And, and so Paul is saying here, he's taking his hands off and he's saying, this isn't my message. You know, Paul, this guy who murdered a bunch of Christians and was really angry, and, and it's not my message. It's Jesus' message. we get a clear understanding of my information is something you should listen to. Not because it's from me. Right? If we go back to the beginning of Thessalonians, Paul makes it very clear. I'm just a messenger. I'm here. I'm telling you the word of God. And I'm not going to adulterate it. I'm not going to dilute it. I'm not going to deform it in any way, shape, or form. I'm just going to go with the message I received. And so here again, he, he points him back and he says, you guys, don't worry. I'm not telling you this just to make you feel better, I'm telling you this because it's a word that Jesus told me. And here's the word. And so he, he goes on to strengthen his position, right? So he's told him that the, those who have fallen asleep, they will be raised. But he goes on to say, not only will they be raised, but they're going to precede those who are still alive. He's kind of strengthening his point. He, he's saying, 
You, you guys are worried whether they're going to go at all, and I'm going to tell you they're going to go before you. And so he's strengthening his point, and he's, he's, he's giving them more hope than they even asked for. Just thinking about the, the beginning of verse 15, again, you know, this word of the Lord. This is, this is the way that we declare the gospel to people. Right? We say, this is a word of the Lord. And I think many of us get bogged down in trying to innovate, to make messages that please people's ears enough so they might receive the Lord. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it isn't, just, it isn't about crafting better, more pleasing messages. It's about declaring the word we've received. And so as Paul shows us, you know, he continues to do this. He continues to say, because the Lord told me, because this is a word from the Lord. And so as we think about reaching out to people and telling them the gospel, this is the way that we should be thinking. And I think a lot of times it takes a lot of fear off of us. right? If, if it's about your performance, if it's about you being able to work hard enough and be you know, slick enough to present the gospel message so people receive it, then you're going to be afraid to share the gospel because you might not be good enough and you might not be slick enough to present it in a way that people are going to receive it. But if you're able to say, okay, I've received this word of the Lord and I'm, I'm going to deliver it unadulterated to people, that takes the pressure off. And you just get to say, well, this is what the Lord told me and this is what I have for you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present it to you, and you get to decide what this means for you. And so the, in a lot of ways, it takes the pressure off. And it also, you know, in, for us believers, instills confidence. Right? So if I, if I quote scripture to a believer who is in error, as opposed to just giving them my opinion, I think they're probably going to listen to scripture over my opinion. And so as this group of people hears, well, I have a reason to give you hope. And Paul isn't just saying, well, it's, it's my theological opinion that uh, some will be risen again. The, the asleep will not be dead forever. And he says, no, the Lord told me. And that has a lot more force. So moving on. Again, so the, the, those who are asleep are actually going to be first. Right? Who doesn't want to be first? Uh, he's, he's giving them even more confidence than they asked for. Going to verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cloud of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and that a dead in Christ will rise first. He's actually talking about the historical event. So if we uh, look back into the history of Israel, the presence of God is often accompanied by a cloud. And so if we look at Mount Sinai in Exodus, it is encompassed by a cloud. Or when the people are following God in the wilderness, he displays himself as a pillar of cloud. Or in Daniel, right? When, in Daniel, when Christ returns, what's he return on? He returns on a cloud. 
And so the Daniel passage is probably the closest reference here, but all of the references to clouds in Scripture have to do with the presence of God. And I want us to think about this because so Paul is instilling hope in people and the hope that he's instilling in them isn't about location as much as it is about relationship. So we're looking here and we're hearing, well, Christ is going to come down. Well, where's he going to take us? He's going to take us to the presence of God. We have to remember what the gospel actually is about. It's about being reconciled to a God who we've, we've sinned against. I think many times when we think about future hope, we think about finely decorated places. You know, streets paved with gold. And certainly that is an aspect of it. But as we read this entire passage, Paul seems to... Re- to remove any sort of imagery of place and and include only imagery of of personal relationship both with Christ and with God. And this drastically changes the way that we think about how we live in light of an afterlife. If we're just trying to live in such a way that we get to be in a nice place after, after we die, we might... Uh, prolong our lives to a point where we might be a little scared and then give our lives to Christ at a later date, you know, live it up, have fun now. And then at some point say, okay, well, okay, Christ, I'm worried that I'm going to go to the bad place and I want to go to the good place. And so I'm going to give my life to you. And it's all about place. It's all about location. Paul doesn't highlight location here. He's talking about personal relationship with the living God, the God who delivered Israel out of Egypt, the God who ultimately is delivering us out of sin and death. And he's saying that's the thing you should focus on. I think even now we can be working on this personal relationship with God. I want to be terrible if you ended up in the presence of a God who you didn't agree with even if the place was wonderful you say well there's gold here but there's this guy who keeps saying I'm a sinner and 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 I've done wrong ultimately the best part about heaven isn't going to be the place it's going to be the relationship that we have with God going back before Adam and Eve sinned and living with God in in relationship together, where there isn't this strain, right? Where God isn't saying, you've sinned against me. And us saying, oh, I I just don't even know how to make it right. And we're going to be free. And it's going to be glorious. He orients them not toward place, but he orients them towards relationship with God. And again, that's something we can be working on now. We can have a relationship with God. He's given us his word. He's asked us to pray, which is a conversation with God. He's asked us to meditate on his scriptures. There's there's so many ways we can be working on our personal relationship with God now so that when the day comes, 
it's even a, a greater joy in our hearts. This is, this is better than what I expected it would be. He talks about the historical happening, right? So Christ will return. Now he, he mentions in, in verse 16, well, actually, it is up in... Nope. Let's go down to verse 17. Uh, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. He talks about uh, this, this we. And you, some people have thought, well, Paul is talking about himself and expecting that he was going to be caught up in the air. Uh, I think it's better to read it as a general rule. So Paul is saying we, so... Anyone who happens to be alive at the time of Christ's return will be risen into the air with him. I don't think Paul ultimately uh, had any sort of stake in Jesus returning before he died, knowing that the time was unknown. Uh, and so he, uh, he, he says this we, knowing that whoever is on the earth at that time will be taken. But it is a historical event. It is something that is being waited for. And it's something that we, currently, as the church, are waiting for now. And we say, Lord, uh, when is this day that you will return? Well, we, can, we can make the clear affirmation, whenever that is, we who are alive will be taken with him. We can have strong confidence in that. It's not like the, those who are asleep get taken and we don't. But those who are asleep do get taken. And those are both good things. They'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Again, he ends on a high note. Right? So our reconciliation isn't just a chance meeting with God, but it's actually dwelling and living with God. Once we ascend into heaven and are with Him, there will not be a time where we are separated again. And that's a, that's a great hope. He finishes, verse 18, Therefore encourage one another with these words. And you're like, Paul, after hearing this, I don't know how I could forget it. Right? And, and you know, you, you have this great experience of God's word and you drink it in. But how long is it going to take for it to, to melt away from your memory? What uh, is going to upset you to the point where you, you forget the hope that you have? You know, maybe a family member passes away. Or maybe a close friend passes away who is in Christ. And you're thinking, my, where's my hope? That's why God gave us the church. Because he tells us, therefore encourage one another with these words. This isn't encourage yourself with these words. He's saying, I want you to encourage each other because there will be times where this, this, this grief bears heavy upon us when these, 
these things aren't as clear as they are now after reading this. And we need to be there for each other. And that, that's not a sentimental thought. I, you know, you, you might have to hold someone's snotty Kleenexes and you should be totally about doing that because we are believers together. And it, it's, it's not glamorous and uh, it's not you know, very quote unquote fun, but it's so much more worthwhile. So just kind of recapping what we've learned through this passage, we've learned uh, that we can grieve even though we don't grieve as those who don't have hope, we can grieve. That we can declare the message of the Lord without having this, this uh, in a feeling of inability to declare the word because, because it's just a message I'm repeating. It's, it's the word of the Lord. I just deliver. We can remember the hope that's both for those who are asleep and those who are still alive and we can remember ultimately the goal the goal isn't about place the goal is about person it's about God it's about being with God reconciled again finally we can remind each other about these things constantly we can be together in community, working for each other. You know, you, you try calling someone and uh, they don't pick up the first time. 30 minutes later, they don't pick up. Hour later, they don't pick up. They show up at home and they say, oh, my battery died. Right? Filling in that information is just so important because if we try filling it in, we're going to fill it in and we're going to say, oh, the worst possible scenario happened. But as Paul shows us, when he fills that information in, he shows us a, a far glorious, more glorious and more hopeful reality than we would assume ourselves. Pray with me. Lord, just give us the confidence of the hope that you've set before us through Jesus in his death and resurrection. Lord, might we not despair as those who do not have hope, but might we lovingly grieve those who we lose. Lord, just help us, strengthen us to be a family that encourages one another with these things. That we would not uh, be isolated, flying solo, but we would draw upon the strength of all of your believers. Lord, we just pray all this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us, please?